Thank you, Janine. I'm Josh, recovered alcoholic. Uh, so glad I'm I'm glad to be here this morning. Um, it's neat seeing a lot of faces I hadn't seen in a, in a minute, and some people that I've contacted uh, or had connection with uh, over the years through Zoom, telephone, that sort of thing. Um, so I'm very humbled to be here. I'm very thankful to be able to, to, to carry this meeting. Um, you guys meeting right here, the foundation meetings you, you put out, uh, I've listened to many times and have learned a lot from. So um, Ryan asked me to do this about a month ago, and I was super stoked to do this. Um, so I'm going to qualify myself really quickly as alcoholic. And that's something that I did not know about or wasn't listening um, probably, well, for 20 years in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so what I want to do today is come out of the book um, and share not my opinion about the information in the book, but just uh, how I butted up against the information in the book, my experience of the wrong way that, that didn't work for me and the way that the, the program exists out of the book. And uh, so er, early on in my life, uh, I, 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 the physical allergy was, was present um, from the time I first started drinking as a teenager. Um, it... Uh, I always had to have more. And I, and I wasn't the guy that wanted to come out and start, you know, just getting blackout drunk. Um, but I wanted to go as far as possible. And so that allergy would take me there and I would end up, you know, doing things and being with people that I, that I did not want to, that I did not want to do led to arrests, um, led to uh, lost relationships. And none of that stuff made me alcoholic. Right. You guys have heard that before. Um, I, th I thought it made me alcoholic, but I didn't know that at the time. Um, so the physical allergy was there and there were portions as a young person. I, I knew that I, I couldn't manage my alcoholism. And, and from where I come from, um, I'm going to bounce around some guys. So just bear with me. But from where I come from, um, well-meaning people, loving people were, were, were telling us. And I thought that, that, that Alcoholics Anonymous and coming into AA was all about knowing that I've got the allergy and then going to lots of meetings to stay sober and throwing some steps in there and sprinkling it out there and then, you know, being able to, you know, stay sober. At least that's what I heard. And so uh, backing up, I knew that I had an issue with alcohol as a young person before AA ever came about, but that I would, I would do things to try to um, stay sober on my own, whether it be a relationship or um, jobs, exercise. Um, I, I was a, person that, that grew up in a spiritual background i would run to the local church and get hands laid on me and um, pray and um that sort of thing and those things would last when i was younger for i don't know um two or three weeks um and and that all came to a head uh in uh tooth the june of 2000 so just want to i just want to throw that out there as far as qualifying goes I've, I've i've had this deal um since the get now, I didn't understand this mental obsession thing, which we're going to go into a good bit out of the book, um, until COVID came about. I'm a retread. I came in AA in 2000. Um, I had a lot of dry time, and then the mental obsession took back over, and uh, I uh, went back out and then was, was blessed enough to come back in on May the 2nd, 2013. That's my sobriety day. That's the day I was separated from alcohol. So... I qualify for the program, um, I, you know, so th there we, there we go. I'm, I'm alcoholic, but that's, that's the thing that I didn't know um, coming in that we could qualify in this program. Um, so now we're going to move on towards how I found the solution out of this book to, to, to get recovered. Um, I'd like to say that again, that I came in here and, and did it right the first time, guys. I'd like to say that I, 
um, found this early on. There were probably people telling me that, but um, I, I wasn't listening. But um, it was it was 2020. A lot of middle of the road AA that I was a part of. A lot of you know, um, uh, take it till you make it type AA that I was a part of. That I got in touch with a, a guy who helped. Who was a big uh, a big part of my life who helped me get linked up with with uh, people doing the big book. And um, I've been doing this way ever since. Um, and, and going back to uh, me trying to do this thing on my own and, and doing it my way, you know, I was a guy that would try to, you know, uh, have the right job, have the right marriage, have the right situation to try to fix my alcoholism. But I just didn't know. I didn't know what this thing was. And so to say all that, we're going to move into uh, the book. So the book on page XI says, um, Therefore, the first portion of this volume describes the AA recovery program has been left untouched in the course of revisions made for both in the second and third edition. So this this book's telling me there is a recovery program. I thought I would say that, you know, I'm in AA. Didn't know there was a difference between being in AA and working the program of Alcoholics Anonymous as outlined by the book. You know, and I heard guys like you early on. I mean, I heard lots of uh, what I used to call fundamental AA Nazis, you know. Which is which is very uh, which is very harsh, I think. Um, but I heard that early on, and I was like, "These guys are just wound too tight, man." And and I was completely wrong. Um, so there's a solution outlined in this book. And what what my group does, I, I belong to the Grace Group of Hattiesburg, uh, Mississippi. We meet on Friday nights. We do a book study, and then we have a Zoom meeting on Wednesday nights where we get speakers to come in and do our talks. And then we have an open meeting on Saturday mornings, but what we like to do is study the book on Friday nights. And then uh, we're also involved with um, some meetings that we take out in the community. We go to a treatment center on Sunday nights. Uh, we go to a shelter on Monday nights. And then we go, uh, we have guys that go to a jail on Thursday nights. So we're very active in carrying the message of alcoholics comes. Um, and let me, let me back up here uh, to the title page where it says alcoholics anonymous, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. Um, I didn't believe that when I first came in AA. I thought I'd always be recovering. I thought that I would always need to, you know, identify with my sickness. Cause if I didn't identify with my sickness, then I was getting too, too arrogant, you know, and then I was going to drink again. Right. And I had to, I had to watch over it. I, I completely miss, um, the surrender to God. Right. So we're going to, we're going to flip over here to the preface. And what I'd like to do tonight, probably just going to follow a, a, um, uh, an order that we do when we take AA into the treatment center. It says on um, the preface, because this book is our basic text of our society and has helped such large numbers of alcoholic men and women to recovery, there exists a sentiment against any radical changes being made. So a textbook is something we need to study. And I, I never was good at studying. I don't like to study, to be honest with you. Um, I'm only going to study something if my life depends on it. So, and, and that's what ended up happening in Alcoholics Anonymous. So this is a books, a book to be, to be studied. And then we want to flip over here to the four to the first edition. So I'm a guy that also um, likes to just do the little, little amount of work and get the most results, right? I call it being efficient, but you guys probably call it being lazy um, or dishonest. Uh, that's what, that's what it is. Uh, but this four to the first edition tells me what this this textbook is going to do. It says we of Alcoholics Anonymous. Those are the first people who helped um, go into the fellowship and, and head in the right direction. The first 100. 
and more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I like what Ryan says about, you know, these foundation meetings being myth busters. And so I want to cover some of that. I used to think that when somebody said recovered, they thought they were better than, um, you know, I, I really don't care what you call yourself anymore. You know, I, I, that doesn't bother me. I have no problem with people calling themselves whatever they want to call themselves. Um, but when it was explained to me four years ago that this recovered means I, I don't I don't suffer from the obsession anymore. That made a, a, lot, a lot more sense to me. Um, doesn't mean I don't have problems. It doesn't mean I don't, you know, get kind of haywire sometimes and, and have human issues. It just means the obsession has been removed. And that gives a guy like me hope because I'm the guy that goes to meetings and hears the same stuff and then doesn't come back. I can't keep coming back. Right. So the main purpose of this book is to show us precisely how to recover from alcoholism. And that tells me that there is a pretty high success rate here if I if I do this work. It says, for them, we hope that these pages prove so convincing, no further authentication will be necessary. So I, I, I came from a situation where it was like, you just you take what you want, and you leave the rest. And it was, you know, and, and outside of AA, guys, I'm all for whatever people need to do to stay sober. You know, that's that's great. But for the real alcoholic inside of Alcoholics Anonymous, this is what works for me. OK, this this is AA. So anything done in addition to this is great. But I was I was misinformed, confused, not listening, whatever you want to call it, that it was all just one big umbrella, you know, and this is this and it's just not so. So uh, we're going to move forward to the second edition and talk a little bit about the success rate here. And I know there's all kinds of arguments and debates, you know, <laughs> and by the way, if you ever want to get entertained, get on Facebook and get on a, a, a AA thread and just watch the comments. It's very entertaining. And people love to, it's just, it's good stuff. It's good. I do it sometimes just to entertain myself. Anyway, on page XX, um, it says of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remain, remain that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses. And among the remainder, those who stayed in AA showed improvement. So we're looking at half got sober at once doing the work. Uh, 25% more had relapses. So we're looking at 75% then sobered up and the rest of them showed a lot of improvement in their life. So why wouldn't I do this work guys? That's, that's a pretty high success rate. I'm not sure what it is today. Um, I hear people say anywhere from three to 20%. Um, but that's a pretty high success rate. But the thing about it is for a new guy coming in, I got to know what the actual problem is. And so I thought my problem was, was I was just a bad guy, um, just didn't want it bad enough. I didn't understand what alcoholism truly was. So we're going to we're gonna go into what the problem actually is, all right? So uh, we're going to go into the doctor's opinion. And, and y'all heard this analogy, you know, a thousand times, and I love it. We talked to the guys about the treatment center, about this analogy. If I've got this car, which I've got one of my cars is in the shop right now, by the way, <laughs> you know, if I don't know what the problem that car is, I'm going to waste lots of money. I'm going to waste lots of time if I'm focused on a different area of it. You know, and so that was that was that was me. You know, for a long time trying to figure out what the problem was. But Dr. William Silkworth, who who uh, who provided some information for this book, very important information, um, gives us um, his ideas about what the problem is of the alcoholic, and the, and the first problem is it's a physical problem, right? So in the doctor's opinion, we like to look at over here on page XXBIII. I believe that's the fourth edition page, guys. 
Um, and at the top of that page, the first full paragraph, it says, we believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol in these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy, that the phenomenon of craving is limited this, to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. Again, um, I got to know what the problem is. And my problem is I've got this physical allergy that once I put alcohol on my body, um, it's going to trigger this allergy. I'm going to want more. Right. And that, that was simply true for me. It says these allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. Once having formed the habit and found they can't break it, once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up on them and they become astonishingly difficult to solve. So, um, and then flip over here, uh, two pages, where it says all these and many others, this is towards the bottom, two pages over. All these and many others have one symptom in common. They can't start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. So what this is telling me is I'm, I'm never getting rid of this physical portion, you know? Um, and I'm sure there were, uh, there were lots of people telling me that. Um, I would, I was, I would go to a lot of literature meetings, and, but I was just, I was, I was doing AA. I was doing lots of literature and just showing up and going to lots of meetings. And I really didn't believe this allergy thing. I think, I think because I came in as a, as a young person, I was 18 years old. Um, I knew I, I couldn't handle my drinking, but like I was going to self-will this deal. I really didn't um, give a whole lot of credence to, to this fact here. I thought I was good, man. But um, I got this physical allergy that once I put it in my body, I can't control it. So if that's the case, I should just stop. Right. And you're like, no, let's just stop. And so if that was the case, I wouldn't have drank again at 11 years dry. Right. So the physical portion is something I'm always going to have. It's never going away. Um, but I keep doing it. I did it as a young person. I did it once I came into AA again, you know. Um, so there's this physical allergy that I, I can't get rid of. So the next question is, or the next part of our illness as described by the book, is that we have what they call the mental obsession. Okay. And we're going to look over here on page, I like to read on page 20, at the bottom of 24. Okay. It says, when this sort of thinking, nope, I'm sorry, bottom of page 22. We know that while the alcoholic keeps away from the drink, as most do for months and years, he reacts much like other men. We are equally positive that once he takes any alcohol in his body in his system, something happens in the bodily and mental sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. The experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. These observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took that first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. What observations am I talking about here? So watching watching me, you know, get various DUIs and and um, lose marriages. Um, watching me get arrested, um, watching me, you know, uh, hit on the, the fellow employee's wife and doing it, keep doing it again, that sort of stuff. And cleaning my, cleaning my life up, um, staying dry for a little while and doing it over and over and over again. People say stuff like, well, God, Josh is a pretty nice guy. That was always, he's such a nice guy. He's a nice guy. But over here, why does he keep doing this stuff? These, these observations would be academic and pointless if he wouldn't take that first drink. So, just don't drink, right? <laughs> and so 
you know, I was one of those guys that would say, just don't drink, man. And and it took uh, a relapse after the long period of sobriety of, of not of being absent from alcohol for me to really understand this. I didn't know. I didn't understand the loss of power and choice that we're going to talk about here. It says, therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. If you ask him why he started on that last bender, the chances are he'll offer you any one of 100 alibis. Sometimes these excuses make sense in the light of the havoc an alcoholic's drinking about creates. They sound like the philosophy of the man, philosophy of the man who, having a headache, beats himself up on the head with a hammer so he can't feel the ache. If you draw this fallacious reasoning to the attention of the alcoholic, he'll laugh it off or become irritated and refuse to talk. So um, I had multiple people try to you know, tell me about my drinking as a young person. Um, didn't want to hear any of it, right? Uh, and so, you know, in April of 2012, after, you know, close to 12 years, 11, 11 years of being dry, uh, I picked up again. And this next thing that we're going to read just was what happened to me. And, and coming back into AA and, and, and getting with people who showed me this stuff years later was like, oh, that's exactly what happened to me. It says on page 24, the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice and drink. We never get it back, guys. Um, I thought because I came to AA and verbally parroted what you guys were saying, knew that I was, I, I knew that I had all these issues that somehow or another that was going to be enough. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We're unable at certain times. Sometimes I could. Sometimes in those years where the, where the mental obsession would come, would be there and it put thoughts in my mind. I could be like, eh, that's not going to, I'm not going to get what I want if I drink. Right. So I'm just going to put it over here. We're unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force, the memory and suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago or without the defense against the first drink. And so what that looked like for me was in April of 2012, after, after having all my, you know, having all the things that I, the self will of my life to have, you know, marriage, kids, uh, jobs, degrees, having all that stuff. One night, left church, come home, had a cough, go downstairs and um, relapse. This this paragraph right there was what uh, was what came true for me. I didn't think about uh, going to treatment. I didn't think about going to AA. I didn't think about the steps. I didn't think about um, the physical allergy, the mental obsession, all the stuff. Right. It was over over time that mental obsession started to get stronger and stronger and stronger. And I, and I couldn't, I couldn't do anything about it. Right. Um, and then over here, I like to read. Let's see here. There's all sorts of stories in here. I like to read, you talk about the mental obsession. You have Jim and Fred, but um, on page 43, it says, once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against that first drink. Okay. Um, I can't outthink this thing. And I'm a thinker. I feel like I can figure everything out, right? Um, but there's going to come a time that I can't outthink this thing. So uh, what's the answer, right? Under Underneath all that, and, and I don't know if I brought my other little hand out. This was something made for me by, well, I didn't bring it in here. But the, the cycle of alcoholism is described in the doctor's opinion. And I just want to read it real quick. It highlights all the stuff that we're talking about here at the bottom of XXV. I, 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 and, and think about your experience while we're reading this. 
It says men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seemed the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks. Drinks at which they saw others taking with impunity, with no problem. After they have succumbed to the, the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over, and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there's very little hope of his recovery. So in our, in our disease, our illness here, the alcoholic illness, there's a physical allergy and a mental obsession. It's twofold illness. Underneath that, what I was taught is that we have a spiritual malady, that humans have the spiritual malady. And it's found, an uh, example of that's found on page 52. Um, and if you'll read that, that middle paragraph there, uh, I think it starts in the second sentence. And this could be if I'm, um, I've been in AA for years and had this happen to me and be true of me when, when I'm not practicing what we're going to be talking about here in just a minute. So this is that spiritual malady that drives it all. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures, personal relationships, all right, with myself, with my family, with my, my fellow man, with the law, you know, all sorts of relationships there. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were afraid of misery and depression. Couldn't make a living. In other words, couldn't find purpose for my life. I could make money. I just couldn't find purpose. We had a feeling of uselessness, full of fear. Not fear of sharks, not fear of heights, fear of other people, what they were going to think about me. Fear that you guys would know that I was a sham. Fear of never being able to um, be okay with me. Fear of what's going to happen in the future with my children. Fear of me not getting what I want. All the fears, man. Just a ball of fear, right? Full of it. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. Was not a basic solution of these bedevilments. More important than whether we could see newsreels of Lunar Fly. Of course, it was. So these bedevilments here are at the core of me, right? And and they're they're churning, you know, they're churning. I just they're churning. I wake up this morning, they're churning. Okay. If if the solution that we're going to talk about here in just a minute is not applied, then those bedevilments sit long enough inside me, untreated. The mental obsession's coming. Because I would, I would rather somebody, you know, physically whip me, and no offense to, you know, any anybody by saying that, but I would, I would rather take some physical pain than emotional pain, right? And those, and those bedevilments being true. So, these bedevilments get geared up long enough, the obsession comes, and I can, I can stave it off for a little while at certain times, but there's going to come a time it gets too heavy, and the, and I'm going to get delusional, right? And I'm going to think it's a good idea to take a drink. And then I'm going to activate that physical allergy. So at the core of this is this, this spiritual malady, right? So I hope that we've been clear about what the actual problem is here. The problem centers in my mind rather than my body. It's not alcohol, right? It's it's uh, it's this mental obsession, okay? So how do we treat it? Um, what I like to read over here moving forward, and I read this to new guys. Um, I believe it's on page 34, so if I've not exhausted all other ways to keep myself sober, then I'm not willing to continue to move forward. Okay. It says for those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. We are assuming of course, that the reader desires to stop. Whether such a person can quit on a non-spiritual basis depends on the extent to which he's already lost the power 
to choose whether he will drink or not. Power of choice for the real alcoholic, for me, um, I'll never come back, right? The, uh, what, what it was taught to me in the first step was I'm going to drink again. I'm going to drink again if I don't take your solution. What is the solution? We're going to flip over here to page 44. In that first paragraph, it asked me those two qualifying questions. If when you honestly want to, you find you can't quit entirely. So question of choice. Or when drinking, you have little control of the amount you take. Question of control. You're probably alcoholic. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. So I got to have the spiritual experience, y'all tell me, right? Um, page 45, lack of power is my dilemma. I had to find a power which I could live. It had to be a power greater than myself, right? Where am I going to find that power? Well, that's exactly what this book's about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. So we're moving into step two. Now, step one, nothing, no sponsor. And guys, I had the best sponsor the first time. He was, you know, at that point in time in his life, he was kicking butt and taking names and, and taking people to the work and being in service and just doing it all, man. And so I thought that if I could just get the right sponsor, I'd be okay, right? Um, no wife, no job, no human power could keep me sober. Okay, I was going to drink again. So I got to have the spiritual experience. Okay, I've got, got my notes here, guys, so just bear with me. So we're looking at step two. And for, 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 for me, um, in my background, and you may not have this problem, when you said spiritual or anything like that, I thought religion. I didn't understand what the book was talking about. And I, had a, I had a big problem with trying to figure it all out first. But we're just going to cut through the, all, the, all the fat here, guys. If we'll look on page 46, um, and this whole chapter deals with guys like me that you know think way too much. Um, it says on the middle paragraph, second sentence, we found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice, express even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, we commenced to get results. Um, so I don't have to figure it all out. All I got to do is lay aside the prejudice, my old ideas, not racial prejudice, not any kind of gender prejudice, but like what I think, you know, my old experience set all that off aside for a minute and just express a willingness to believe in a power greater than myself. And again, I got to look back to my step one experience. It doesn't matter if I figure it all out theologically or any of that. It has nothing to do with the situation. Is my rear end on fire? Am I admitting that of myself, I'm nothing and my, my life, you know, can't be managed by me because um, I'm going to, I'm going to drink again. I can move on to step two and say, all right, all right, Josh, I'm, I'm willing to take your, I'm willing to take your suggestions. And that, and that was true of me. Um, fast forward, I guess around six years dry, just going to, be straight up to you guys. I was I was really dry when I came in contact with some of you people in this room here, um, and through you people, I was guided towards a, a person who uh, took me through the book again, and he helped me see that it wasn't about my prior experience or, or my my um, degrees or my length of sobriety or any of that kind of stuff. He just looked at this and he was like, "Are you are you willing to believe that there's something bigger than you, you that can take you?" to a different level that can, can solve your problem. 
and uh, we, we kept going. So there's not a whole lot. There's not a, a um a big reason. There's not a reason to hang out in step two and have it all figured out, you know. Um, and it goes down on forty six to say, much to our relief, we discovered we did not need to consider another's conception of God. I don't need to consider Ross's conception or Yale's conception or Ryan's conception. Um, I never really asked what my conception was. And, and the book goes on to talk about that. It says our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach and to affect a contact with him. As soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things, we began to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction, provided we took other simple steps. We found that God does not make too hard terms with those who seek him. To us, the realm of the spirits, broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek us. It is open, we believe, to all men. It's great news for a guy like me, guys. Um, and it goes on to say, we therefore, we speak to you of God. We mean your own conception of God. You know, and I've never really asked myself what that meant to me. I could tell you what I thought. I could tell you what I thought. Um, and I, I like what people say and what I hear um, from from groups like you. And, you know, when they say that, you know, you got to know God, you got to be out of your mind. You got to get outside of your head, Josh. This is not a thinking game here. So um, in step two, we're just laying stuff aside. We're willing to believe that there's a power greater than ourselves that will solve our problem. And it goes on to talk about that on page 47. Do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? As soon as a man can say that he does believe or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him that he's on his way. Now, lots of us stop right there. We stop right there. I'm, I'm willing to believe and you know, I'm just going to be miraculously healed. And that's why it didn't work for me in other areas of my life that I thought that if I just admitted that and that I would just be healed right there. But there's got there's got to be some work. Right. So we're going to move on to step three, which is part of that solution based situation here. Um, and so we're going to look to step three. Let's turn over here to page. Page 60. Let's just look at page 60. OK. And this is just the decision. Um, this is just a decision. I've heard it said before that um, this is similar to you know, having a car, knowing what the problem is, the battery's dead, knowing what the solution is, getting a new battery. I'm still not moving. That was my problem. That is my problem sometimes today. I think because I know what the problem is, I know what the solution is, that I can just sit next to Ross in an AA meeting and it just you know, miraculously, you know, I'll get it. I'll get it, you know. Because I don't want to do any work, man. And, and what I figured out through this, through doing this work and through really solid sponsorship out of the book is I don't like doing what the books tell me to do, <laughs> just waking up and doing that. But if I really believe that I'm a real alcoholic, then I'm going to go do it, right? So we're on page 60, and it says, uh, after how it works, after it tells us all the stuff there that we need to do to have this, this experience, a, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. And C, that God could and would if he were salt. All right. So step three, um, this is a very, very you know, important portion to me. We could spend a lot of time here. Um, what I like to say about step three is that I can't make this decision and make it stick without falling to the rest of the steps. Okay. I can say I'm going to turn it over to God all day long, um, but I don't have the power to do that, guys. And that's what I didn't understand before 
um, getting linked up with with big book sponsorship, as as I know now, is I thought that I could just say, hey, look, I'm I'm uh, powerless over alcohol, life's unmanageable. I'm willing to believe in God, say the third step prayer, and just keep turning it over, you know. But there was an act, there was an act, an action, and some some active principles and actions that I could take regularly to keep me linked up, right? So step three is a decision to turn my will and my life over to God, my thoughts and actions, all all my selfishness, right? Page 62 talks about what our real problem is. Um, it says selfishness and self-centeredness that we think is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. I thought I was a nice guy. I thought I was a nice guy. And Ross has got a background in his, his uh, picture there. He used to When I would hear stuff like that, it would really just piss me off. Like, what do you mean what I want doesn't matter? What I read from that was like, oh, you're not good enough and blah, 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 right? Um, after after um, being married for the second time, lots of failed relationships, being sober again, fighting the mental obsession, um, got remarried to a beautiful woman I'm completely, I'm, I'm married to now, um, wonderful lady, you know, wonderful. I love my wife, have all the things back in my life after losing everything. And I start having some of the same problems that I had before in my previous life, other marriages, other jobs, all the same stuff, right? But things are supposed to be different now. And this is where this really came out for me was the problem isn't out here. Problems in here, you know, problems are inside job. Thank you, Ross. Absolutely. You know, um, it's, it's self-consumption. When I wake up in the morning, my first thought is me, you know, and I'll be honest with you guys. That's how it works today. Today, this morning, you know, um, I got a house full of children right now. My older two are with us. And, and you know, I got, I got a nine-year-old and I got a 10-month-old, my wife and dogs. You know how it is, guys. It's a full life, right? And the first thing I wake up to do, I wake up this morning, I was like, oh, God, how am I going to get all my stuff done today? I'm thinking about me, right? And so the rest of these steps are going to help me deal with all that, right? But um, but step three is saying, you know, look, God, I can't fix me. I, I need your help. Um, I'm making a decision to do that. Um, and I started looking back at my life, you know, all the decisions that I was making. It was because I was fearful. I was self-deluded. I took a job coaching basketball one time. I played basketball growing up. Okay, this is sober. I played basketball growing up. Big sports fan. Never coached a day of basketball in my life. But I took a job coaching basketball at a, at a high school, <laughs> you know, and I convinced them that I could do this, right? So there's all this self-delusion. Um, and then there's self-seeking and self-pity. And, and that, that's that's true of me today. You know, I, I'm in fear. Um, I have this delusion about somebody else. I try to make it happen. And then when it doesn't work out my way, I get I get self-pity. And you do that enough, guys, that self, it's going to, that those those bedevilments are just are, are really going to be on fire, and it's going to cause me to you know think about the mental obsession is going to come back, and then I'm going to go drink again. So, step three is a decision to turn my will and my life over the care of God. I can't do that on my own. I need the rest of the steps. So we say the third step prayer on page sixty three. Um, there wasn't a, a big profound um, feeling after taking the third step prayer, but it was really important to me that my sponsor tell me what that actually means. What I heard was when I first came to AA was I'm going to get sober, get a lot of money. Everybody's going to love me. And my life's going to be perfect. Right. But what this third step prayer says is God do with me what you want to do. Relieve me of the bind of self so that I better, better do your will. Not my, I'm not getting sober for me. Um, take away my problems, my difficulties so that victory over those problems 
will help the power that I love, the way of life, so that so that other people can see you working through me, right? So we're, so how do we do that, man? You know, how do we do that? Well, the steps four through nine are, are, are perfect. Um, the perfect steps for me to to clear out all that stuff, that junk, you know. Um, it was explained to me that, you know, as a, as a young person, a child, people have different times in their life. They feel this way when they feel close to God. Life happens. You start accumulating a lot of stuff and I said, you start feeling blocked off from God. At least that's what happened to me. Um, so steps four through nine is, 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 is are, are ways to unclear that blockage. And down here on page 63 says, next, we launched down a course of vigorous action. The first step, which is a personal house plan. I'd never done that before for real. My first real, my first major four step that I did, my motives were great, but it was more like just telling all my secrets, you know, and there's a great confessional piece to this step four, but uh, that's not what this specifically is about. Um, I had never taken inventory of my grosser, my handicaps, you know, my sensitivity, you know, my, my um, uh, arrogance, my reverse, reverse pride was a big one, right? Though our decision was vital and crucial, that third step it could have little permanent effect. There's that word permanent, unless it once followed by strenuous effort to be facing rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. Our liquor was but a symptom. We had to get down to causes and conditions. So I had to, we had to get down to see what are the things that keep coming up in my life, those patterns, those things inside me that cause me to react the way that I do, you know? And so that's what we do in step four. We find that why we have these resentments, what areas of my life were affected, um, we find out what our fears are in step four. Uh, what are we afraid of? And then we move on to the conduct portion of the inventory. Um, and I thought that was all about just, you know, just it was a strictly sexual deal. But what it really was for me was, uh, and what the book talks about here is, where have we harmed others? Okay. Um, we reviewed our conduct over the years. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Whom had we hurt? Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? Where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? We get all this stuff on paper. I never actually looked back at all that stuff in my life, right? Because it was I just couldn't. You know, there's those, those defects of character, the entitlement, pride, ego, all that stuff was, you know, I just wouldn't do it, right? Um, and so we find out all that stuff. We find out all the people that we're resentful for, resentful at. We find out what defects of character are blocking me off to that process. Um, my, my current sponsor, Mark T out of Medicine Hat, um, Alberta. Um, all he simply did was listen to my steps, my, my, my four step, jot down defects of character that he heard and gave it to me when it was over with. He, and he gave me some good insight, but that's essentially what we're doing. We're finding out what the causes and conditions are. And then we're also looking at through this process is who am I going to really need to make amends to? And that was a whole nother level for me because um, what I heard early on first in AA was living amends, living amends, living amends. And I think there's a, there's a place for living amends in Alcoholics Anonymous um, in certain situations, but that's not what the book says. The book doesn't say, Hey, look, all your amends are going to be living amends. Right. But again, I'm the guy that likes to do the least work with the, with the most results. I don't like to do a whole lot of heavy lifting. And that's why I didn't have the spiritual experience the first time. So we move on through this inventory. We find out who, um, what our defects of character are, um, what amends that we need to make. We have a list there and then we, we go and we get quiet. Okay. We go and we get quiet to see if we've missed anything. 
on page 75, we'll get quiet. We ask God whether or not we, whether we've done this thing right or not. Have we missed anything? If we haven't missed anything, we move on to step six and seven. Um, and on 76, it says, are we now ready to let God remove all these things which have admitted our objection? And, and of course I am, you know. And so uh, that doesn't mean I'm not going to struggle with some of them. But, yeah, of course I am. Um, if I still cling to some of them, I ask God to help me be willing. And then we do a seventh step prayer. My creator, I'm now willing that you should have all of me good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me all this, uh, every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here and do your bidding. So it's a prayer that God remove all this junk that, I, that I've got that's blocking me off from you and others so I can better do your will, right? And there's no amen behind that where, well, there's no there's there's no guarantee here where, where God says, all right, I'm about to remove all this stuff, guys. What I found for me is the more I engage in this work, that this book is telling me to do, the more God reduces those defects of character. When I stop doing some of the work, I stop working it like the book tells me to do, which I do, I absolutely do, the defects start coming, becoming more stronger. So we move on to steps eight and nine, and we've got that eight-step list from our inventory. And then any other thing that pops up, I'm going to go put on my eight-step list. Um, we subjected ourselves, this is on page 76. We subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. Now we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. We attempt to sweep away the debris which has accumulated out of the effort to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. Remember, it was agreed that at the beginning we could go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. And so we, we uh, get with my sponsor. Um, we try to get going quickly, guys, because I'm, I'm getting some I'm getting some some mojo, some power here. I'm feeling connected to that fifth step. Um, and I need to keep going. So we try to make a we try to pick some of the ones that we can do quickly so I can keep this momentum going. Right. So I make some of those amends. And looking back, that's one of the biggest reasons why I drank again is because I didn't make my amends, you know, because I, I, I thought that I didn't have to, because they hurt me more than I hurt them. Right. That's not what the book says. Um, the book gives really clear cut instructions and criteria and principles to follow when going and making amends. Um, and if you haven't had that experience with the amends process and there's still amends to be made and maybe you're, you're not feeling great today. Maybe, maybe there's some amends that you can go back and make and, and, and feel better about. Um, so we, for what what we do is we we uh, we have a requirement to make at least three of these amends, and we don't we don't stop right there, but we make three so that we move we can move on to ten, eleven, and twelve. And I want to try to cover that in the last few minutes here. Um, so we've made these we've made some amends. Um, we're filling the sunlight of the spirit again. Some of the ninth step promises are coming true, and then we move on to step ten. And I, and I love step ten because it helps me see where my spiritual condition is right. On page 84, it says, um, the thought brings us to step 10. We've just finished step nine, or we've started a step nine, done some amends, uh, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set wrong, right, any new mistakes as we go along. I didn't do that before, right? I'm going to make mistakes as I move forward in life, and I got to go clean those up. Yeah? We vigorously commence this way of life as we clean up the past. We, we have entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. It's not an overnight matter. It should continue for a lifetime. I'll never get to a certain spot where I got to stop doing this. Um, and what that looks like, guys, is when, it, when, you know, when I get out of line, go cleaning it up, you know. Um, it also looks like currently what, what 
we're trying to do is as, as a group of guys I meet with, you know, every six weeks, we do a little group that we're, we're trying to take a, it's not a new idea, but we're trying to look at this tent stuff as, it's not something we do after the fact. We're trying to watch for, like the book says, to watch for the selfishness, to watch for the dishonesty, watch for the resentment, watch for the fear, so that when it does crop up, instead of doing some cleanup after me acting out, that I'm going to ask God to remove uh, that from me. If I need to talk about it with somebody, go for it. Um, make amends if I've harmed anybody, but and then uh, turn our thoughts to somebody that we could help. This was a game changer for me because um, this gives me exact steps that I can take when I'm not right inside, right? I ask God to remove what's wrong with me. Um, selfishness, honesty, resentment, fear. Um, talk to somebody about them. If I've harmed anybody, make the amends. Hopefully I haven't just yet. And then turn my thoughts to somebody else, whether it be somebody at work, whether it be one of you guys, a text message, somebody else outside of me. And that for me has been a game changer, game changer this time around as it's helped me, you know, um, live out here instead of in here, right? So 10-step promises help me look at I'm neutral when it comes to alcohol. And it talks about that on page 84 and 85. And this is how I react as long as I keep in fit spiritual condition. So as long as I'm practicing these disciplines, I'm going to be okay, right? And so we move on into step 11, which step 11 for me previously was, God, keep me sober. Thank you for keeping me sober, right? For years, right? And I drank again, and and that, and that's okay if that's all I got when I first start, right? But I, I, but this is telling me I'm getting close to this power through this work that I need to continue to try to grow towards. And it says um, we shouldn't be shy on the matter of prayer on page 85. It gives us clear-cut directions of what we should do. Um, there are times in my life where I've uh, struggled with doing this regularly, but the more that I do it regularly and consistently, even when I don't want to, the better I feel on the inside. And, and when Josh feels better, I do better. I'm able to help more people because I'm not focused on me because out, outside of doing 10 and 11, I'm not looking at myself. I'm not, you know, exposing myself to others and God. I'm not spending time with God. I can't see any of that stuff. I stay asleep. Right. So this is helping me stay awake and it gives us clear cut directions on what we do at night. Um, I'm part of another group of guys who do a nightly review. And when we're done, we, we text each other. Um, and then, uh, in the morning, we wake up, got in my closet this morning, went through the process um, to try to get linked up with God, right? And that's something we do on a daily basis. I got a few minutes left. Um, I used to think the steps 10, 11, 12 were optional. Obviously, they're not. Um, step 12 was something I would never do. Uh, I didn't have enough time. That wasn't my thing. Uh, I'm sure you've heard all the excuses. And again, I drank again, but on page 89, it says practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. And for me, that's sponsoring other men, you know, and I didn't learn any of this work without sponsoring other guys. And so how my, what my life's like today is, um, whew, there's not a whole lot that's changed on the outside. Okay. This step 12 right here has, has changed me in a way because it's driven me to go do more work through the steps, go back and do things, develop relationships with other men that's really saved my life. Um, guys like Ross, Roy, and uh, guys that live here in Mississippi with me that I sponsor, um, they've changed my life because I think I'm helping them, but God's using them to help me because uh, there are certain areas of my life that I can't see that they can help see through this, the sponsorship relationship, right? Um, so step 12 for me is not an option. Um, 
when I'm engaged in prayer meditation and sponsoring other men, that sort of just takes care of all the rest of the stuff for me as far as the steps go, because I'm not a guy that's going to go do all this stuff unless I have to. Right. And if I'm taking somebody to the steps, I got to go back and look, Hey, what am I doing? You know, what am I doing? Um, but today I'm able to show up to things like this in the morning time, instead of, you know, leaning on fear and canceling or, or, uh, when I, when I do lie today, I'm able to go tell the truth and clean it up. Um, I'm not worried about um, the cops being after me. I'm not worried about what's going to happen in the future all the time. I have a God that I can lean on and who I know will take me uh, where I need to go, regardless of what my mind's telling me. So um, my life today is beautiful. I can sit here and talk about it all day long. Um, I'm sure some of you have experienced what I'm talking about here. Um Let's see. I probably missed a lot of stuff, and that's okay. Um, but yeah, I, thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous, and thank God for for you guys who have, have lovingly and patiently given me this information, not tried to shove it down my throat, but just given me this information consistently to show me that you know if I'm a real alcoholic, um, I'm going to have to do some heavy lifting to stay sober and to, and to be effective and understanding um, for the rest of my life. So. Uh, Thank you for allowing me to come and, and talk. Thanks, Ryan, for asking me. Um, I hope you guys have a great day. That's all I got. Thank you, Josh.